Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Well, 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 fans of takeaways will remember my guest today from episode seven, Mr. Kevin Oder. Back then, you were in your previous role as senior pastor at Canyon Ridge Church, which you were there for close to 27 years. Today, you return, return to takeaways, reborn in your new role. Is that a okay reference to say? Sure. Reborn. So your new role is uh, as chair, as an, ex- as an executive coach with Vistage International, which you've been in now for two years and four months. Yes, I have. Yeah, so a little bit more about Kevin before we get in. You're a sports fanatic. I would say a, a fan. A fan. And a serious fan because fanatic, man, those people tattoo their sports teams on their bodies and decorate their homes, you know, with all the all their. Sport. That's not you. Just I, a fan. I'm not that. And also a fanatic goes into depression when their team <laughs> lose, <laughs> and it really is all about that. And I'm a fan. I really enjoy sports, and I enjoy the stories. I enjoy the the heroes or the the Hall of Famers and the heritage and and the uh, elements of. I'm, I'll take my son to a game. I'll take my grandson to a game. You make memories, Adam. It's. I just really enjoy the world of sports and always have. Awesome. You're also an avid golfer. Do you want to change the adjective on that too? Um, it's, uh, I enjoy, uh, golfing with good people on a great course. It's good for my soul and I don't care about the score anymore. So that kind of golfer. (laughs) All right. You're a reader. Yes. I probably read 40 books this year. Nice. Mm -hmm. You're a father. You're a grandfather. You're a happy husband. Yes, I am. 42 years of marriage. Three adult children, six grandkids. All three of our kids are married, so there's 14 in our tribe. You're also a walker. Yes, that is something we found during COVID. And uh, when the gym shut down, and, and instead of walking a treadmill, I decided to walk in the neighborhood, and it turned out to be something I enjoyed. And uh, one day I was ready to go out for my walk, and I turned to my wife, and I said, do you want to you walk with me? And she goes, yeah. And it turned into an us. It's a good thing for our marriage. It's a good thing for our health. And so we, uh, our big decision, uh, the, this conversation the night before the following day, when are we walking tomorrow? And we just look at our schedules, pick a time, and then uh, we make it happen. So as a matter of fact, uh, on my tracker that I have, uh, 100 days in a row. Uh, today is 100 days in a row that I have walked my limit of steps wow so it's we do it every day is what my point we just it's it's a discipline and it's good for us very nice yep so to round it out you're a leader you're a leader's leader you're a shepherding leader maybe we'll get into some more of what all that means today but mr odor dr odor spend a few minutes reintroduce yourself to 
the fans, the fanatic fans of takeaways. Um, it's really an honor to be back on your podcast, buddy. And the fact that you're still doing it <laughs> two years and four months from the last time I sat in here is uh, pretty cool. And uh, that's one of the reasons I like Haim. Haim uh, learns. He's a lifelong learner. He has been in Vistage now for six years, probably. Yeah. And uh, he listens to the teachers or the speakers that come in as well as to the peer group uh, processing and he does takeaways and he actually implements them in his life and this podcast is one of them that it was a a way to uh, increase uh, not only what you give to others but as a result it also creates pathways in a network that uh, helps you in your business as well and so it's a win-win-win and uh well done, buddy, that this is still going. It's not just an idea, but it's actually become something. And to all of you that are listening that have been helped, it's kind of cool to see that happen. Um, so real quickly about me, I'm 64 now, uh, born in Tennessee, lived there three years, grew up in Indiana, lived there nine years, and went to Michigan where I went to middle school and high school. So I'm a Midwest kid. Then I went, uh, got a scholarship to play football at William & Mary. Williamsburg, Virginia, and that's where I met my wife, who is a Northern Virginia girl, and we got married in Manassas, Virginia. Then we moved to Cincinnati, where I took my history and religion double major at William & Mary uh, into uh, a seminary where I was going to be a church history professor, but while I was doing that, I was a youth pastor at a church, and at the age of 25, decided that I would be a pastor instead of a professor and uh, so uh, continued in youth ministry till I was 35 we moved to Columbus Ohio for 10 years our three kids were born there I became an Ohio State fan there as a conversion and because I had been a Michigan fan and people say you weren't really one if you became an Ohio State fan anyway <laughs> then uh, a buddy of mine came out to was coming to Vegas to plant a church invited me to come be his wingman and so we moved our family from the heart of the Bible Belt out to Las Vegas, uh, Sin City itself, and we uh, raised our kids here. They were 10, 6, and 2 when we moved to town, and now they're adult children, and uh, we, uh, we've had a great life out here, so we're Las Vegas folks. So that's me, kind of. Uh, degree education, I just kept going to school as a lifelong learner, and I got a master uh, of ministry and a master of divinity at the seminary in Cincinnati. And then I got a doctor of ministry at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. And uh, I've been a part of Vistage for 17 years now and uh, learned a lot about business and uh, learned that leadership is leadership and uh, people are people and humans are humans. And there's a lot of transfer. I was very skeptical that a pastor could gain anything from a business group. And I learned that there's a business inside of the church, that when a church becomes a mega church, uh, you know, we ended up with a staff of 75 people and an annual budget of eight and a half million dollars and uh, a board of directors to work with, uh, other teams and boards to lead strategic plans to put together, just accountabilities, HR issues, all the stuff that you need to help an organization be healthy. We needed that in, in our church world. And so I learned a lot from my peers in the Vistage group I was in and 
when it came time to transition the church to the next leader for the next generation, uh, the opportunity to be a Vistage chair myself was presented, and I hesitantly uh, refused to listen to that concept until I checked myself to my own limiting thinking, which is what leaders always have to do. Why am I saying no to this so fast? Is it healthy or is it dark? And and there was some fear involved and some misunderstanding uh, to the potential of being a Vistage chair. And once I worked through all that, it was a green light. And it's something I'm doing these days that I really enjoy. It's fulfilling. It's a part of my sweet spot. And uh, so I enjoy uh, being a leader of leaders. I'm one of the few that gets to lead the few that leads the many. And uh, there's, oh, okay, hold on. There's a ripple. There's a ripple <laughs> effect in that, and that's pretty cool. All right, there's a lot in there. Yep, but I didn't know what all you wanted. No, to no, do. that's good. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna write that down. Lead. Say that again. I'm one of the few that leads the few that leads the many. Few that leads the few that leads the many. We're gonna come back to that, um, but I want to take a couple of steps back and zoom out a bit. Okay. What is Vistage for anybody who does not know what it is? Vistage is a made-up word uh, between Vista and Advantage. And when you have a perspective on your business, it gives you an advantage as a leader to make better decisions and to have better results. So you're a better leader. And it's a chance for executives to get away uh, not from working in your business to work on your business. And everybody says they do that, but but they're so busy they seldom they, they get attracted to the uh, – the pull of the of the tyranny of the urgent, that they don't get to look back up, step away and see what's really important. And Vistage is a discipline where you show up for an eight-hour meeting once a month to work on your business with this uh, with this peer group. Uh, it's a discipline as a lifelong learner, where eight out of the twelve meetings a year is a speaker that has a best practice in some way that they speak on for three hours, and you get a chance to learn from some really quality uh, teachers. Uh, you learn from your peers as you work issues together, and uh, and it becomes this uh, grow- consistent discipline of growth and learning that assists you as you go from A to B as a leader. As you can, leaders are should be learners, and if a leader stops learning, it's amazing how that impacts their mm-hmm. leading. And uh, sometimes you think you've accomplished, you've checked the boxes because you got the certifications or the letters or the or the, the double degrees. masters and the doctorate yeah, and all that, but there is so much more to learn. And position yourself as a lifelong learner is as a growing leader. People can tell when you're growing, and uh, they are inspired by that. And it helps you be a better leader, and it helps the people around you be inspired to be lifelong learners themselves. So, in that in that category of where does a an executive, a business owner, go to be a lifelong learner, and also little additional thing that Vistage brings you is peer coaching and accountability. So I don't know when Vistage was started, but I think it was sometime in the fifties or somewhere around Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And that was the concept that, you know, the adage as, as a leader, it's lonely at the top. Where do I go to talk about my problems? I can't tell my employees because I'll scare them. My spouse doesn't want to hear it when I come home. Where do I go? So Vistage is that place where you join, you pay a membership, you go, like you said, once a month, and you have that. You have two two things, or really three things that come out of it. One, like you talked about, there is a a cadre, a library, a whatever you want to call it, of Vistage speakers. Uh, if you're a subject matter expert on anything from cybersecurity to health and wellness to 
What was the last guy we had? Uh, strategic planning. Strategic planning. Yeah. Those are the obvious. And yeah. there's some that are less obvious. Uh-huh. Um, you, you, know, you write a book, you have a consulting firm, and then you become a Vistage speaker to go on the circuit in a way. They don't sell anything to you there. That's part of the benefits of being in Vistage. But you do get to hear three hours of material. And one of my takeaways from, from Vistage, if, if you can speak three hours on a topic, you are an expert. Mm-hmm. So three hours, you really get to go deep. You really get to understand things. So one of the benefits is that you get a speaker. You get a chair, which you're the chair now. We're going to jump to that here in a bit. But a chair that organizes all this stuff for the group and then also works with every member one-on-one. And then you get the group. And the group is where you can go to say, all right, I respect all of you. I confide in all of you. I I have a problem or I have an issue. And then the chair gives you this lovely form to fill out, which is actually, it's a template really to process, a thinking uh, process on here's my issue. Be clear about what it is. Here's why it matters. Here's how I'm thinking about it. Here's the help that I'm, I'm asking for. And you get to give it to 15, 16 other people who are not in your business. They're not your competitors. They're not your major vendors or suppliers. And they will read through this and then they just ask you a bunch of questions. How'd I do? Very well. Because uh, stinking thinking is a phrase that has multiple applications. Uh, It's a counseling phrase. It's a a phrase I used to use as a pastor and and seeing how people were thinking and how it would wreck their life and versus good thinking that would lead to better results. And the same thing applies in business. I mean, a lot of leaders can, in their in the solitude of their own head, come up with a bunch of stuff that just isn't true or is very damaging to them. Now, you used the term earlier, limiting beliefs. Limiting that's in beliefs. the same vein. Yes, that's stinking thinking. Anyway, we can't do that because. And somebody says, what? Why not? And they, and they poke back at you and, and they challenge you to defend yourself. Like, is that really true or not? And you find out that some of... You, you self-discover with the help of your friends holding up mirrors and making you more self-aware of what, what's really going on. And very often, a business decision is a personal liability of yours, that there is a fear or a, a, a wound that is keeping you back from doing a, a courageous, brave thing. And when you do the right thing and move forward, that's leadership, and you make a better decision, and you get better results. So. That's, that's kind of the trend. And so for 15 years, you attended this Vistage group as yes. an attendee. Yes. I was as a, senior pastor yes. at Cannon Ridge Church. Mm-hmm. Learned a ton from my group. And they learned to challenge me, and, uh, and I learned to challenge them. And it was, it was this mutual... Uh, there's also a fulfillment, a human side, where you feel kind of good watching your, your co-members thrive as they come in limping they got an issue it's a mess and then you see because you hang with them for a year or two you you can see the result of the decisions they made and how positive growth occurred and improvement and that's why I'm commending you uh, because I've seen that in you uh, though you came in as a growing young leader who just needed to get deeper stronger you know healthier and become your own voice as opposed to just mimicking some models that you read about or heard on a podcast somewhere else that 
that you found your own rhythm, your own way, and your own strengths. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool to watch. I'm still a work in progress, but thank you. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy. All right, so that was uh, 15 years you spent as a attendee, as a participant, as yeah. a member. And then you, like you were talking about, you found an internal succession at Cannon Ridge Church, yes. the right person, and led your own exit out of the church as senior pastor. And when you do that, there's I got to observe it. So I'm going to now tell you what I have observed about you, sir. Um, when you do that and say, I'm going to stop doing this thing that I've been doing for the last 20 some odd years of my life. The next question is, what am I going to start doing? Now, on our last show, you talked about this Patterson process life plan that you did. And that gave you five sort of directions that you could go in. And it was sort of a, the way that you described it, it was a headline of if you're doing work under this banner or headline, you will be in your sweet spot and you will be fulfilled. And one of those things was shepherding kingdom leaders. And that's where back to the, the few that lead the few that lead the many. So, so yeah, that's uh, elaborate. That's another way of saying shepherding kingdom leaders, because uh, the shepherding kingdom leaders is my those words all mean something to me, but they don't quickly translate to other folks. But the one of the few that leads the few leads the many, people get that right away. Um, because uh, uh, it comes from a perspective of culture that culture has influencers that influence the culture. And, and there were some thinkers back in the 50s, 1950s, that had a Christian background who were observing culture, said there seems to be seven major influencers of culture. And one of them is uh, education, which you can understand the, the sphere of education. One of them is the sphere of government um, and all the different branches of that. One of them would be uh, the sphere of uh, media that, uh, uh, that is, is a, enough power in it, enough influence in it that it's its own sphere or its own mountain or its own category. Uh, one of them is business, which is uh, where I now spend a lot of my time, is in that sphere. Uh, one of them is the sphere of faith institutions um, and uh, just the, the contribution they make to culture and the influence that they are. One is the sphere of family, uh, which is very important. And when I can go through each one, when education is broken, who suffers when you have a great teacher who burns out or flames out and gets lost or a great principal or just the loss to the to the sheep or to the people under their care is is tragic it's like oh man that leader was so good why couldn't they stay in uh, or the other you know if i'm a principal in a position and i have influence over all of those students and i'm i'm not a good leader that influence has a ripple it's not just a, I was good, but then I burnt out. It could be that somebody rises to that position and they're just not good. Yes. And that's why leadership matters. It's so important. It is so critical. That was a segue to government. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I'm going. Uh, the, the seventh, I'm going to give right. you the seventh, yeah. which is arts, entertainment, and sport, which is uh, the idea of role models. Where does a cultural look for its role models? And when they do, what do they see? And if each one of those seven spheres is led well, then the people that are being led or are being influenced by that are blessed or 
benefited are in a good spot. They're going to grow and, 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 and mature and be healthy. So look at education. When education works, man, lots of people point to a teacher that just impacted their life or a coach or somebody. But then when it's terrible, uh, the, the brutality of the, the scars of that. Same thing for government. When there is a good leader in government, the people are blessed. You know, when the king is good, back in the days of the kingdoms of Europe, when a king was good, the people were blessed. A tribal leader in Africa, when the chief was good, the people were blessed. But when the, the government person flips it and says, you exist for us instead of me being the public servant of you, you know, that, that man, that's just so upside down. Media, when media has an agenda versus they're just holding power accountable and, and uh passing on the news, so to speak, uh, how broken it is when and how dark it can be. Business, when business leaders are just getting, they're milking the employees dry to get wealthy, or if they're creating wealth to bless those who work hard and create a healthy organization so everybody wins. You know, there's a different take there. When churches hurt the people that they're supposed to help, when, uh, when any faith institution uh, and flip the script and say you guys exist for us at the top versus we're here to lead and bless the flock so to speak uh, family when the parents are unhealthy and abuse occurs in the home and the kids are harmed because the, the parents just can't do it you know uh, how dark that is and how dark it is when our role models uh, and lead everybody off a cliff of immorality versus the positive, healthy uh, heroes that really inspire us to be our best selves. Uh, those seven spheres, when they're led right, makes a difference. So when I'm shepherding kingdom leaders, those are the seven kingdoms or the seven influences that all of those leaders matter to a culture or to people. And in my own way, I come out of the faith tradition, but I believe that the faith tradition could improve people's lives to be better leaders in the other six areas. So it was an engine of reproduction, so to speak, to send out great leaders to the other areas. Because I believed that, and I believed it deeply, when my life plan was done, uh, I saw being helping business leaders as a very valid life vocation just like I saw helping people with their spiritual life as a very valid life vocation. It was just an application of my faith to the area of business, helping business leaders thrive, because if they do, then the sheep or their flocks are blessed. So I'm one of the few that leads a few that leads the many. And if I can help them thrive, then everybody is better. And that's, that's my life calling, and that's what I really enjoy doing what I'm doing. And that, that's the theme that we're going to really dive into today, which is thriving. What does it mean to thrive? And you've got another assertion I'll make is you have, you're one of these that can talk for three hours on this subject. One of these subject matter experts that can uh, write a book about it and then give presentations about it. And we'll get into as much of it as we, as we can today. But we'll start out with a story, which was uh, you were still in Vistage as a member, you weren't yet the chair, and I was in Vistage as a member. We were actually meeting at your church. I forgot which it was, the chapel? Yeah, it was in the chapel. In the chapel, one of the buildings that you built during your, your leadership there, or helped to, led to get built. 
And I was, you know, we had the speaker and the meeting and all that. And we were on a break and I was walking back in from outside and you were kind of standing by the door. And as I was walking past you, you said to me, you're a full hearted leader. You lead with a full heart. And I didn't know. I was kind of caught off guard a little bit. Nobody has ever said that to me before. And uh, do I just say thank you and keep going? Do I? <laughs> um, so thank you for doing that. And um, I did come back to you. I don't remember if it was there in that meeting or if it was a month or a couple months later. And I said, Kevin, when you said you're a full hearted leader, you lead with a full heart. What does that mean? And then you started to educate me on what that means to you. What is the if the if the subject of this conversation is what does it mean to have a full heart? All the stuff that comes underneath that. Before we get into it, I just want to mention why this is relevant and timely. So just yesterday, I got an alert on my phone from the Wall Street Journal. And the title of the article that the Wall Street Journal is putting out is how to tell your boss you're burnt out without without derailing your career. So full heart, burnt out, uh, you talked about kingdom leaders. We're going to connect all these dots. But let's go back to the first question. What does it mean to have a full heart? I'm going to start with the negative and to describe the positive. And all of us can recall a story or we can recall a time when we have been wounded by a, an empty-hearted leader or someone that was running on empty where we got the worst of them as opposed to the best of them. And when you have a full heart, that means the best of you is in play. That's, that's a way of explaining that versus the worst of you is, is at play. When parents have lost it and screamed at their kids, there's something going on that's empty-hearted. It's, often it's not because I've, I just asked them five, six, seven times to do the thing and they totally ignore me. It's because <laughs> your patience was not as full as it, yeah, fair as, enough. It, as it has been. And for that reason, it, it's still that, yes, are they offensive? Yes, they're offensive. Do they need to be corrected? Of course they do. But how you do mm. it is not your best. Um, True. And so that's the, an illustration just to start off in raw, realville. <laughs> Um, but the same thing for a teacher that's not at their best, a coach that isn't at their best, a boss that isn't at their best. And you can go right down, a government official's not at their best. It's when a heart is empty, when it's running on empty, when it's dry. Uh, however uh, you want to say it, when you just don't have the reserves of energy to do the right thing the right way in that moment. Uh, the impact of a, of a dry-hearted leader is really, it, it's not good any way you cut it. And, wo- and wounds occur, and sometimes extremely poor decisions are made that can totally wreck a career or wreck a business or whatever. And, and because of that, um, I see the importance of uh, being a, a fan, an advocate, a encourager of folks that when they are, like when I said that to you, because you are a full-hearted leader, that was an encouraging phrase. I wanted to encourage you to, to be a full-hearted leader. And when I noticed it, instead of just saying, huh, there's a full-hearted leader, I might as well tell you. Yeah, because that may inspire you or just make you aware that whatever you're doing is working. 
so that your heart is full and you're you're at your best. So it did, and let's kind of pause here for a second because mm-hmm. one one concept, one takeaway that you're sharing is you observed something and made a choice. The choice wasn't just keep it to yourself and just go, huh. The choice was to exert energy, maybe a little courage to say something to me that I received at first is like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But you did that because it was, you made a conscious decision to encourage me to say that to me. And what it did had the effect that you were after. It made me stop for a second to say, what the heck is he talking about? And ask, what does that mean? And by doing that, you showed me something that I just wasn't aware of. I just thought this is this is normal. This is that's not something I see. I I'm, I don't know about that concept. But when you you're a full heart leader, what what does that mean? It means you lead with a full heart. It means you're positive. It means you're this. It means you're that. Huh? That's good feedback. That's positive feedback because I'm just walking around being me. I don't see that kind of a thing. And it's not just for this, but this whole concept of you know you taking the the time, the energy, the effort to say. Here's something positive I see about you. You should be encouraged by it. It's a different application of you see something, say something. Right. It's on the positive side and how often we leave encouraging, motivational kind of uh, comments uh, unsaid versus as a leader, that's one of the things that you can do for the folks that you lead when you see something, say something. Uh, we we often talk about person, you know, the evaluation process to be able to tell tell somebody the things they need to correct and improve. Versus, man, you really need to hear this and and my respect and admiration for how you're good at this. So, anyway, that was a time where it worked right. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, uh, Dale Carnegie. I'm kind of trying to look this up. He has something around give them a title to aspire to. And. Uh, and I wasn't necessarily doing that, but I did say more than you're a great leader or you're a good leader or you're a growing leader, which have all, would all have been accurate. But by me throwing in a different phrase in that compliment, it also created a question and you're a hunger in you to learn more about that, which is part of the reason why you're a full-hearted leader <laughs> is because you're curious and you're, and you're learning and you're wanting to grow. So I did ask you what that is. Um, I don't know if you pointed me to a sermon that you did or if I just stumbled upon it back in your Canyon Ridge days when you would give your, your sermon on a Sunday. One of the things that they do f- phenomenally is capture things and create content out of it. So on their website are series and series of sermons. And you, you talk on this and you, you have a little flip chart and you draw a picture. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward three, three years later. This theme is coming back up in my life. Uh, it's coming up in a different form. You know, one of the things we do at MDL Group is this process called catalytic coaching. Yes. It's uh, a Vistage speaker. Mm-hmm. There's a book on it. And the concept is it's a replacement for the employee review, which the author, the creator of this catalytic coaching process, will assert that the, the employee review is just a dead process. It doesn't do anything. You know, he goes more more into it. If anybody's interested, you can look look it up online, and he's got plenty of videos and content out there about it. But the catalytic coaching process is is three steps. First, the employee starts, and they have there's a sheet, a worksheet, two pages of prompts for them to go through to say, um, what did I set out to achieve that I achieved? What are some of my disappointments? Where where do I want to be? 
uh, a year from now? Where do I want to be three to five years from now? What are some relationships that I've made that have been valuable for my uh, position and my growth? And they start the process by putting it down on paper. And then the coach, the reviewer, so to speak, I'm making air quotes, the coach then takes or they present that to the coach and the coach listens and just asks clarifying questions. Then you go to step two where you provide feedback and the feedback comes in the form of here are your strengths. Here are areas of improvement and then here are development recommendations. And then the employee takes that the team member takes that so they've started with putting some thoughts down on paper they have now received the benefit of feedback not just like you talked about here's all the stuff you need to do better no here's your here is where you are winning here's where you are thriving it starts with that here are some things that as your coach uh, and how you get feedback from peers and colleagues that people are saying that you can do better and that's a generous thing to give to somebody and then here are some recommendations for you. These are not your goals. These are our recommendations for you to consider. And then the team member takes those two things and sits down with a third sheet and then creates a goal sheet for themselves. And then you coach to the goals. And it's more of an inclusive process. It's more of a holistic process because it, it starts with who they are and where they want to be, where they want to go, excuse me, uh, feedback from you, from their team and their colleagues, and then the accountability piece around, okay, here's what you said you want to do. My job is to keep you accountable to that. Is that how you understand it? Absolutely. You're thinking, yeah. You mm -hmm. look like you're... No, I was just reviewing uh, the, the full-hearted motivation. What is What motivates an employee if they're engaged in catalytic coaching, like you're talking about, is I'm not being told what to do and I'm not being corrected and it's not a top-down deal. It is a partnership and you're helping me become the best me. You know, you're, you're asking me to ask questions about me so I can grow, so I can maximize, so I can... Uh, and in Jim Collins, who's a noted author, you know, you're, what are the seats on the bus? Am I in the right seat on the bus? And uh, this helps clarify both for the supervisor and for the employee that I'm moving to or I need to move to a better seat on the bus of this organization or I'm right in the right seat confirming everything and I'm, I'm having a great time. Or the scary bit and the reason why a supervisor or a company would not do this is if the employee is saying, you got another year and I've got, I've got bigger plans. I'm going somewhere else. I'm going somewhere uh, better position. This is a stepping stone. They wouldn't say it in those terms. But if someone does say that to you, you've had a lot of experience with this in the church. And I think it's in the same vein of what we're talking about, which is people thriving and having a full heart. How would you handle that in your church days? If you really believe that people matter and if you are for them, which is a, a phrase that somebody feels like you're against me, you're sucking life out of me, you're just using me, versus you're for me growing to be the best me I can be. Um, if you're for them, then you don't want to limit their future. You don't want to limit their growth. You want to facilitate it. And when you have a full-hearted leader, they're going to lead with passion and they're going to integrity and, and excellence and all of that. So it's good for your organization to be led by or to be have workers in it that are full-hearted. But if they're moving on to something uh, in the future that isn't in your company, then you become part of their story 
and that you grew, that they grew at your place. They identified their strengths at your place. They were able to be educated by you, and now they're in their sweet spot, being doing what they were made to do, and you're part of their success story, and which is nothing but positive for you because they're going to spread goodwill and good, and they'll be a good testimony if you want to say it of how great it is to work at your company because you care about people and not just the, the bottom line product. Um, you have to decide if, you, if that's important to you or not. If it's all about your company and the bottom line, then this may not be the right kind of review. And there are some companies, and I was reflecting on this, I, I did work for a summer in college at a factory in Flint, Michigan. Uh, and Flint is part of the auto industry. And I worked making vacuum carburetor chokes. And that was a great experience. And I was thinking about when in that, when I was sitting at the table, putting the little pieces on and taking them off before they got crimped and made into this vacuum choke, uh, which I don't know any anything about that. But I just knew how to make that thing because I was trained. Uh, it was what motivated the workers around the table. Money. It was it. Mm. And that's part of the factory business is it's a good-paying job with good benefits, and I don't care that I'm putting this piece on this car, really. It's not about me being so proud of the cars that are made. It was I'm, I'm getting my money out of it. And there are jobs in our country that are noble where I put in a good day's work for a good day's pay, and my motive is to provide for my family. And that is absolutely noble. But there are other motives that can be a part of a worker that you can tap into their future and help them grow and develop and that they do find a place to serve with their skills, talents, and abilities in the right place and the right seat on the bus where they're maximized. And that's because I, I've seen that vision. I've lived it myself. I care about that vision for other, other people. And I think it's a better path than just, just bringing home you know, uh, the paycheck for the family, which is very noble. Please hear me loud and clear. That's very noble. Uh, but if you can attach the job even to producing something that you were made to do, then that's so much better. So an another thing that came out of this catalytic coaching process for us at MDL Group is person after person would say something to the effect of a goal or an aspiration is to take more me time, quote unquote, whatever that means. And it was, Kevin, literally one after another. Allowing myself to take more me time, allowing myself to exercise regularly, allowing myself to fill in the blank. And it was it was so much a recurring theme that I, I, I remembered you and I had conversations about this before. I remembered watching your sermon on on YouTube and you talk about this under this theme of having a full heart. And I asked you, Kevin. I've got an ongoing theme here at MDL Group. Would you be willing to come in and give us a talk around this? And you said, heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> uh, and you did. And you came in and I've got the uh, sheet that you gave us, the outline of the discussion. On the top, it says replenish. You broke it down into why, what, how, potential action steps. You put a little, a little bit of got into it, which is apropos for a recovering senior pastor. 
Um, we'll talk about that too and why that's that's good and valid and important. Um, and then you gave us a presentation, and thankfully we had a flip chart in our conference room, <laughs> and you drew your famous heart. Yeah. And I actually have it here, and I put it in front of the wall in front of us, you and I, so we can talk about this, and we can describe what's on it. But let's go back to this whole concept of replenish and me time. And, you know, in this season that we're in, to use one of your terms, where we are post-COVID, but it's still there. And it's right around the new year, and resolutions are 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 high on our minds and this theme this 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 consistent nagging theme of taking time for myself and why is that so hard we don't have to start there but where do you want to start um let's attack the whole thing i want to go back to the full heart idea okay and the the concept behind the chart that i i drew is that uh, if you think about full as equals energy how much energy do you have, uh, and how energy translate then to translates to production or positive uh, work? And there are a lot of tired people that are working, and there are a lot of tired parents, a lot of tired teachers, a lot of tired. You go right across the board of all the spheres of influence, and there's a lot of tired people. And most of the things in, in the world that matter are, get done by tired people. Uh, that's, a, that's one of those kind of plaques that you put up in a work room or something because it is true. What if uh, you, you live life at a sustainable pace instead of crisis to crisis, but actually a sustainable pace? And that involves healthy boundaries which means that you know what you're supposed to be doing and you know what you're not supposed to be doing. And it involves uh, focusing when you, with the energy that you use to produce that you are doing what you were made to do. And there's purpose and fulfillment in that production so you thrive because I was made for this. And boy, that phrase is not a flippant phrase. That is really... Uh, if you can dial that in and say, I was made for this, uh, that is deeply, meaningfully fulfilling work. Um, and be beyond that, uh, to identify the stuff that if you do something that isn't fulfilling over and over again, that's something that's going to lead to burnout uh, because it just takes energy and doesn't give back much. But if you do things that you were made to do, then that's fulfilling. So it's, it, it takes energy, but it returns energy. And so it's a different way of looking at work. What is fulfilling and what burns me out? Uh, and then there are the other things that lead to less energy. I call them wounds when you get hurt, when you get hurt by a boss who demotivates you by a criticism that they just are clueless about and they're a jerk in the way they say it. That leads to less energy and leads to less motivation and it leads to when you're a leader who gets betrayed by an employee uh, that leads to less energy you know just the wounds of leadership and the wounds of working uh, take energy out of you um, and then you have your human life where you have parents who get sick you have a child who's home from school sick you have uh, the drama of daily 
life with family members. And there are times that it's extremely meaningful, but usually it's draining. There are some moments that give you energy, but a lot of moments that take a whole lot of energy. And if you just look at energy management as an issue for a, for a worker or a leader or an employee, oh my goodness, uh, to start to analyze, if you just ask the question, what sucks the life out of you? And then what gives you life? And if you can envision these life-giving practices that when you're done, you go, oh, that was good for my heart. <laughs> so let me just describe yeah. the heart that's on the wall here. Yeah. So on this flip chart, you draw a heart mm -hmm. just like you would if it's Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. And there are four chambers at the top that are going in that are filling the heart. Four funnels of, four of, funnels. of life, I call them. And there can be more. You can identify many more, but I'm just kind of condensing some to some. So what are the four topics? major funnels that you identified? Uh, one of them is physical. And physical is, has to do with your sleep, has to do with your diet, has to do with your exercise, and how good it is for your energy capacity to be healthy physically. And there's all kinds of diets, there's all kinds of exercises, there's all kinds of ways that this can this box can be checked. And so it's not a specific uh, diagnosis or prognosis of you must do this, but there are some pretty standards. You must do some kind of aerobic activity that keeps your body strong and gives you energy when you're done. Um, same thing with a diet that when you're overweight, it just is a negative in all kinds of ways and it takes more energy to keep you overweight versus energy that's burned up with a healthy activity. And so that's something to, to, to look at your diet, to look at your exercise, to look at your sleep. America's a very tired. That's the one that's most overlooked. Yes. Diet and exercise is probably on every New Year's resolution in some form or fashion. But sleep is totally overlooked. And probably even more important. Study after study, um, and there's all kinds of it out there that will say when you are underslept, the physical ramifications from that are huge, including your immune system is less, so you tend to get sick more, and you have to caffeine yourself for the energy boost. And so we're an over-caffeinated culture now, and that has ramifications down the road. And by the way, I am a coffee addict. I, I call it the nectar of the gods, and I, I really do believe it's awesome. And so I'm a coffee addict, and I confess that sin. I don't think it's a sin, but I confess that. Mm. Uh, but that does not mean I'm also a huge advocate for being well-slept, well-rested. And in, in the case for it is you, you want your surgeon to be well-rested, don't you? <laughs> you, know? you don't want to hear the word, oops, I'm just too tired today. You know, you want, and you think about any professional that you go to for their services, you want them to be well rested so that they're thinking clearly and they have full energy. Um, and why wouldn't we want our whole staff or all the employees in our company to be well rested? And any mother hearing this. And you go through a season when kids don't sleep. No, no, I mean, like after that, it's, it's easy for, I'm picturing a mom, it's easy for a mom to put herself last in the pecking order of Absolutely. the household. Absolutely. And there are seasons where you can't. But what is a challenge is when we turn the season into normal and the season never ends. 
and our norm is to be underslept. There, honestly, uh, we, you know, we had our three kids. We, we get what it's, it's like to have a sleepless night with our children and other crises that can come up so that you can't sleep. However, uh, what, what is justified by so many people is uh, I want to see how little sleep I can get mm-hmm. versus what is the healthy amount of sleep to get so I'm well-rested. When you ask that question, it's like, oh, I don't do that. And then you look at our culture and all the sleep aids that are being sold and all the challenges people have with sleep, sleep studies that are done, et cetera. Uh, this is a big deal. And as a result, our, by, by a huge margin, our culture is underslept. So just to encourage healthy habits like exercise, eating right, and sleeping right, um, help the physical component of energy coming into a tired heart. So when you when you talked to us at MDL Group here a few several weeks ago, you talked about this. So, so we talked about physical. Uh, the other funnels were mental, emotional, spiritual. And there are things in all three of those categories that bring life to you. It's good for your soul. It's good for your heart. It's good for your energy to renew in these ways. And I would say the um, spiritually, it seems kind of obvious if you spend time in the spiritual practices of, of your faith. It's good for your soul to do that. It's good to quiet your thoughts and to center yourself and, and to get inspiration and all of that. That's great. Um, the emotional category or the emotional tube or the emotional life-giving uh, deal is one of what I find with people is one of the hardest to identify. Physical is very quantitative, but emotional is kind of soft and fuzzy. What do you mean by that? And it's something that you can you start to grasp as you describe it. What sucks the life out of you is a phrase that I've come up with that seems to help people go, oh, it, I am drained at the end of blank, whatever that mm-hmm. is. What This drains me. A conversation with this person drains me versus a conversation with this person gives me life. What, who are the life givers and the life suckers in your life? And that's a kind of a dark way to talk about it. And some people say, what do I do when there's a, someone that drains me who I have to talk to because of family relationships or I have to talk to because of my work relationships? And you know that the idea is that life is not free of, of life-sucking conversations. You just need to replenish your emotional tank uh, because you know that you got the life sucked out of you because that's always a tough conversation. It's not like you shy away or run away from them. It's you manage them and you acknowledge them and then you plan for them. So you try to get it a little extra full and then you plan a recovery afterwards because you're going to be a little extra empty. And so how do you manage your life sucking conversations? You can. And the better you do, the healthier you are, the fuller your heart will be. Uh, there's, there are things about emotional tanks that you can't control, and one of them is death. And death brings grief, and when grief hits you, you you're going to be less full emotionally. you got less in your tank. It's just the way it is. And what do you do when you're in that situation? I call it emotional intensive care, where you're, you treat yourself very kindly. You maximize or focus on the things that are life-giving to you and you allow yourself to grieve 
because when the, the only way to heal uh, a broken heart or to heal grief is to go through it, not to avoid it. People tend to do avoiding behaviors like going back to work real fast and working a lot because it takes their mind off it. That's avoidance. That's denial. Uh, people try to numb their pain with uh, drugs or alcohol. That's avoidance. That's denial. And you can't get around grief. You have to go through it. And so when grief hits you, you go into emotional intensive care. You take care of yourself more tenderly for a season of healing. And just be aware you can do that and still work and still be productive. But just know that's part of your path for over months. It's kind of like uh, if you're in physical, broke an ankle, you got to go to physical rehab. This is an emotional rehab of taking good care of your heart. Another thing we just overlook. Correct. Because you don't see it. It's, it's on the inside. It's mm -hmm. not visible to folks. You look normal when you come to work. But, man, you're in emotional intensive care. And it's I, I use that phrase for people to give themselves permission to be good to them. <laughs> yeah, there's a concept, name it and tame it. Okay. You're, you're familiar with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you actually went through this presentation in MDL group and you said this emotional intensive care, you gave it a name for a few people in the room. Correct. And once you have a name, you can see it like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You're aware of it. Yes. You're, you're saying, oh wow, I am in emotional intensive care, yet I'm operating as if it's, I'm normal. Correct, and everybody sees you as normal because they don't see your broken heart or your wounded heart. And uh, by you yourself identifying that and if there's a need for you to inform others at a particular moment, because you don't want to walk around crying and sobbing and breaking down and being inappropriate or unprofessional or whatever, but at the same time, for people, they may need to know, hey, you know, right now I just need to let you know that I'm going through this and it's, it's a tough season. We just lost my mom or we just, I just lost a buddy. And, and uh, sometimes I'm, today I may need to take five minutes and I don't know when that's going to be, but I'm here, I'm going to work, and I'm engaged, but I just need to let you know that's happening to me. Oh, that! what is the person that receives that kind of heads up? They're not going to go, you jerk, be a professional. They're going to say, oh, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, I appreciate Anything you Anything you need. Here. Anything you yeah. need, yeah. It turns into a partnership, mm -hmm. which is emotionally helpful for somebody who's in emotional intensive care. So the mental one, real quick, I skipped over that, but that is – you are a growing leader. You are learning. You are reading. You're listening. You're availing yourself to stuff. And you feel good when you learn, and you feel good when you start to put some of that into practice. It's a positive, filling thing to your heart. And so that helps your heart be a, a full-hearted leader. Um, and that's the, the benefit of all four categories with life-giving practices that you've discovered. These are the things in this category that give me life you put your oxygen mask on first you do those things intentionally so that you can be a great mom you can be a great employee you can be a great leader and uh, or a great friend and you have something to give others because you have get taken the time to make sure that your heart is full well that was helpful when you talked about it kind of I'm going to put an exclamation mark on this part of the talk. You gave us all an exercise in the room. Uh, so anybody can do this right now. You take out a piece of paper, you write down the four funnels, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. So on the right, then put numbers one through 10. So a 10 scale, 
and you had us rate ourselves in each yes. of these categories. You said physically right now, are you a one through 10? How full are you? How full is your heart? How are you doing in that? And this is a self-assessment. So there's no, there's no uh, professor that's going to come tell you you're right or wrong. This is you and where you are and where you perceive yourself to be. And mentally on a one through 10 scale, the learning part, uh, how you're challenging yourself there. Emotionally, where are you? Spiritually, where are you? So there's four categories on a 10 scale. Total score is 40. You add up where you are and you can figure out the percentage on how full is your heart. Mm -hmm. That was a very cool and helpful exercise because then it also shows you, first of all, if you're not as full as you'd like to be, what areas you need to, to work on. I think the emotional one is a big one. You gave us some very practical things that you've talked about as far as observing, starting to observe what are the things that drain me? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's people that are very close to you and setting boundaries around that. That was one, um, one action step. I will talk to my relative who drains me because they're my relative and I'm not going to just remove them from my life. But I will maybe limit when I talk to them or how much I talk to them. Or, there's an or, it could be an and or an or. Knowing that I'm not going to uh, cancel the relative from my life and I'm going to talk to them and I know that it drains me. What do I do for recovery? What do I do for replenishment? When you talked about it, actually, you know, I've started to run recently and I'm signed up for a half marathon and I started I'm starting to understand what does it mean to train for a half marathon? And if every week I'm supposed to run four runs, one or two of those runs are recovery runs. So it's even in, in something like that, where there's a long run that really stresses you, your body, and it's a good stress and a productive stress, but then you also have to build in recovery. And there are days when you rest, if you can imagine that. You don't run seven days a week when you're training for a half marathon. So this kind of concept isn't everything. We just often overlook it in our life. But you brought it home for us with an example of a um, rubber band. You took a rubber band and you illustrated this in front of our lives. What is, you know, stress and recovery and stress and recovery. And what happens if you don't recover, it snaps. And it was very visual, right? You, you, you kept, yeah, it. you showed us. <laughs> so imagine if I have a rubber band and I'm holding uh, one side with my right hand, one side with my left, and I pull it away from itself and I'm stressing it, but then I let it recover. And I stress it and I recover. And if you do it like that with the recovery piece, you can do that forever with a rubber band. However, the next thing you did is you just pulled it and pulled it and pulled it and pulled it and pulled it. And then eventually when your arms were almost at full wingspan, this rubber band snapped. And that's an analogy for life. Exactly. And what was helpful to me about explaining that is we do good work when we're stressed. We produce well when we're challenged. And uh, it is not wrong to do things that take energy. <laughs> uh, that's what we're made to do. The problem is if we don't replenish. And even a heartbeat is a stress recover, stress recover. We're dead when it's flatlined. And uh, it's good to go through this rhythm of life where I'm emptying and I'm filling, and I'm emptying and I'm filling. The challenge in this is what I see where all the red lights go off is when I'm not refilling, not refilling well. And that's why 
the emphasis of put your oxygen mask on first so you have you receive and then you have something to give and uh, that's a healthy rhythm healthy lifestyle and I want to shepherd kingdom leaders. I want them to stay in their leadership post. I don't want them to disqualify themselves because they burn out, bleed out, or get tempted out. I want them to lead strong. And when a leader is leading strong, everybody benefits. And that's why I get to be one of the few leads, the few leads of many. <laughs> so that's easy, not easy. I got it. The few leading the few. Let's talk about the many. Why, and let's talk about, let's go deep on this concept of recovery, replenishment. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for people to give themselves the time to exercise, to give themselves, to allow themselves to go play a round of golf, to allow themselves two hours out of a month to read a book for no good reason, as you talked about? Mm-hmm. Why is it so, to leave the three-year-old with dad or with mom so that I can go and exercise for 30 minutes or an hour. Why do we struggle with this? Why is it so hard? Uh, um, I'll just use the phrase again, stinking thinking. There's something about us. And one of the things I've noticed is your strength is your weakness. And so when you have somebody that's very dedicated to the cause, very dedicated to being a dad or a mom, very dedicated to any organization and those dedications take time and so they give time to them and there's positive results energy is expended and it's awesome and you put yourself last and I do that first and it's productive and I get kudos and I get some feedback that lets me know that it's worthwhile but then I put myself last and we feel noble about putting ourselves last and then pretty soon it's a pattern and there's a, there's a phrase called codependency where I feel good about me if you feel good about me. And so I give myself to you and I do things for you for others so that they like me and I put myself last. Like you fall off, the funny joke about codependency is when you fall off a cliff and someone else's life flashes in front of your eyes, that's when you know you're codependent because <laughs> you don't have your own life. You just give, 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 give. We we celebrate givers, we motivate givers, we tell givers that it's a good thing. And so all this, all these noble givers are out there giving, 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 giving. And where they are undercut is by their own thinking that I'll get to me later and they don't get to themselves later. And part of my uh, motivation or my angst here, however you wanna call it, is how many crash and burn stories I've been a part of as a pastor and all these really noble people who crashed and burned because they did not put their oxygen mask on first. They got out of whack and they were giving, giving, giving for all these noble reasons. And there are telltale signs that show up. I haven't taken a vacation in seven years or five years or two years. And it's, it's phrased in a way that I really deserve this now because I haven't done this or that or the other. And what I hear when somebody says that is that somebody, it's a life out of balance. When somebody can brag about, and if they're bragging about or seeing it as a virtue that I don't take time for myself, I haven't had a day off for blank, I haven't gone golfing for blank, I haven't, you know, haven't gone fishing or whatever their filling activity is. I haven't done that because I haven't had time because I've been in crisis mode 
or I've been giving. And it's like, no, you need to handle crisis and you need to give and you need to take care of you. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And the phrase, put your oxygen mask on first, is so, the reason it's said in airplanes is everybody would take care of their kids first. Everybody, that's our instinct. Mm -hmm. It's noble. No, 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 no. In this case, it's not going to be healthy in the long run. <laughs> if you do it this way, we've, we've, we've done the study. The data's in. Put it on your kids first. They, they have less capacity. You have to take care of yourself later. You have more capacity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, if I do it that way, that, oh, I need to put mine on first because if I go down, they're going down. You know, we just, we don't, we flip the script and we, we don't see it. Oh, I need to be, when I go over to visit grandma and help her, I need to have a full heart. She's going to be better served. I'm going to be more patient and more caring and more loving because I'm more present. When I choose to go coach my kid's baseball team, am I going to be a jerk of a coach or am I going to be the patient coach? who encourages and celebrates little, little baby steps of progress. You know, you want people in those leadership positions at their best. And you got to put your oxygen masks on first. And emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually are just four major pathways that people get life from. And so find yours. Make sure you have a full heart. Whose job is it to make sure you have a full heart? It's yours. Self-leadership. People don't come up and say, how full is your heart? They can just tell you when, hey, are you okay? They see mm -hmm. the lack of fullness when you're acting out in negative ways. When you said self-leadership in your presentation to us, that to me was my equivalent of name it and tame it. Okay. So for anyone who's hearing this and thinking, oh, how do I do this? And it's hard. And it's, um, we talked earlier when the no sleeping becomes normal. Yeah. It's not normal, and it's up to you to call yourself out on that. It's your self-leadership to say a good night's sleep, that's normal. You know, burning yourself to, to, on both ends of the, of the candle and getting four hours of sleep consistently, that's not normal. So when you said self-leadership, like, the analogy was if you want to lose weight, you know exactly what to do. Yeah. You know it's a, it's a function of calories in, calories out. You know that. You just have to do it. You have to take ownership and leadership of yourself to to do it. That to me was helpful. So sharing it with everybody so it's helpful. And the other thing, the funny thing you said was because you're a doctor, these are doctor's orders. So if anybody <laughs> needs permission, Kevin is here giving you permission to take leadership of yourself. But it also ties into this emotional intensive care. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stop to notice that you are in an emotional intensive care, Step one. Step two, telling the people around you, I'm wounded right now. My heart isn't at its fullest. I might need to take some time. Speaking into the concern is one of our, our Vistage speakers. He uh, uses that. But that's also, if I'm not mistaken, within AA, um, like s saying it takes the power away kind of a thing. Is that You bring the darkness to light. When you say it. Yeah, and, and it loses its power. So in that, in, if in the, it's the same sort of thought around it. If, if my resolution this year is to take more time for myself, 
what is my replenishment activity? And let's just say it's golf. That's not mine, but I mm -hmm. believe it's one of yours. Mm -hmm. I feel like a total a-hole telling my wife I'm going to go play a round of golf on Saturday when it's supposed to be family time. And, you know, that's several hours away from the family. I feel like an a-hole. How do I reframe that so I don't feel like that, that I feel like this is a good thing because when I do that, I am replenished. And when I'm replenished, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better everything in my life. The way that I had uh, personally that I attacked that because there were times then I would leave to go golfing and my wife would say, you're going golfing again? And that let me know that I hadn't done a good job in our re inner relationship so that her heart was full as far as I was concerned, that I had made enough love deposits in her emotional tank, so to speak, that she w was okay. As I learned, as I corrected that, and I would go golfing, and she go, oh, have a great time golfing. She wanted me to enjoy my activity that refilled me if I, if I was taking care of business in our interpersonal relationship. So there's a whole lot of dynamic in this about how how you do it and ultimately it's all about boundaries how much time do i invest in my re emotional relationship with my wife which fills me when we have a date and we reconnect and we have great conversations every day over coffee or whatever those things sustain the level of love in, re in my relationship with my wife which is good for my heart to know that my wife and i are doing well Right, So it's a matter of repairing and maintaining healthy relationships as part of your emotional tank level. Because when you have one of those going south, it drains. Conflict and interpersonal conflict, especially family conflict, is so draining. And it takes a lot of energy. So you, so you work on maintaining that with the time and effort and the skills that lead to good relationship maintenance. And then as I go to take care of myself, she's supportive of it and I'm supportive of her because we help each other keep our tanks full and we know that's important. And when I come back from golfing, I can look at her and say, when are you gonna do your behavior because I got to do mine? And we are mutually supportive of having full-hearted parents in our home. So that's kind of how to tackle that. So that's a good takeaway for a husband and wife yes. dynamic and, mm -hmm. and asking how do you want to replenish so that I can support you? Bingo. And then there's a reciprocity on here's how I would like to replenish and have that support. Because we want full-hearted parents parenting our kids. It's like the, the goal is so clear, and you have to keep that goal up there. You're better, and I'm better when our hearts are full. And so that's a great takeaway for the husband and wife dynamic. Mm -hmm. Let's land the plane, share some final takeaways for, you can do it however you want, but maybe think about takeaways for kingdom leaders out there as it relates to this topic. Takeaways for the many, the employees, the team members around this topic. Uh, there's a lot more to it. Um, one of the things about a, your, the heart of a leader is the motives of why you do what you do and to have your why be very clear and to work on that because when you are a motivated leader you're being you're leading from a place of, of a full heart uh, that if you're the right seat on the bus 
uh, and how fulfilling it is to work at a job that is fulfilling because you're doing what you were made to do. And there's usually a journey of discovery. I thought it was this, but it was really this. Oh, okay, that's a click. It may not be a total different direction. It's just a focusing or a, a movement into a clearer direction. And don't be discouraged by that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it's helpful. Uh, if you're not moving, you can't be clicked into a new direction. You're, you're like a inertia is keeping you on the couch as opposed to you're moving so you can be directed in the right way. And as an employee that is growing in, in your career that you're still learning and growing, you haven't yet discovered what the next 10 years is going to be for you. And so keep moving, keep learning, keep growing, keep clicking so that you get in the right direction. That helps be a full-hearted leader that I, would, I was made for this for this season. And uh, when, you, when you have that personally, what a difference that makes. So that's what I encourage you to keep, keep the journey going until you find that. Awesome. Any final takeaways to share or is that the one? I would say again, Mr. Fullhearted Leader, <laughs> that this is not an exact science, but it is uh, some, I don't know if we ever arrive that I can say my heart is full because I believe that there are seasons where more than one crisis can hit you and you're running on, you're running on empty and realize it is a season and uh, take care of yourself put your emergency uh, practices in the make sure that you do certain things that will help you so that you can make it through the desert and i believe leaders have deserts all the time and there's something for some kind of deep character that is forged in the desert and that's good for you some kind of correction some kind of perspective that you gain because that will prepare you for the next season of growth and uh, don't give up and don't quit in the desert. Hang in there. That's a great place to end. Kevin Oder, Vistage Chair Kevin Oder, <laughs> thank you for joining me again. Yeah, it's an honor, buddy. It's and, my honor. Uh, continue to lead strong. It's my privilege. Thank you. And yeah. thank you, everyone, for listening. We'd love to hear from you about your takeaways from this episode. Make sure to leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.